Samuel chapter 18, as we continue our series on the life of David, uh, we started a few weeks ago, uh, David, a man after God's own heart. And like we, we've been talking about Joseph on Sunday mornings, and, and I'm encouraged by that. Joseph, from a very dysfunctional family, a family that uh, there were so many problems in that family. I mean, some of his brothers should have been in jail. And uh, his father was a mess as well. But he turned out great for God. And David, though he made a lot of mistakes, and there were some big sins that are uh, attributed to him. I mean, he did commit adultery. He was responsible for killing Bathsheba's husband. But... He was a, known as a man. Not, and by the way, re, I remind you, this was not another man's assessment of David. This was not David talking about himself. Yeah, I'm a man after God's own heart. This was God saying David is a man after God's own heart. And so we've, we've talked about that. And tonight we're going to be talking about true greatness. True greatness. So let's read these verses. 1 Samuel chapter 18. Begin reading there at verse 5. We'll read down through verse 16. And David went out whithersoever Saul sent him and behaved himself wisely. And Saul set him over the men of, of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the uh, people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. And it came to pass, as they came, when, uh, when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistines, that the women came out of the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with uh, tabrets with joy and with instruments of music and the women answered one uh, another as they played and said Saul has slain his thousands and I'm sure Saul was just proud and thinking what great accomplishments but then they sang and David his ten thousands boy that had to put a burr under Saul's saddle but here in verse 8 uh, Saul was very wroth and the saying displeased him and he said they have ascribed unto David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed but thousands. And what can he have more but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day and forward. It came to pass on the morrow that the evil spirit from God came upon Saul, and he prophesied in the midst of the house, and David played with his hand as at other times. And there was a javelin in Saul's hand. And Saul cast the javelin, for he said, I will smite David even to the wall with it. And David avoided out of his presence twice. And Saul was afraid of David, because the Lord was with him and was departed from Saul. Therefore Saul removed him from him and made him his captain over a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. And David behaved himself wisely in all his ways. And the Lord was with him. Wherefore, when Saul saw that he uh, behaved himself very wisely, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he went out and came in before them. Father, have your way tonight as we look into this passage about David. May we glean from it uh, what we need to be and do for you to honor and glorify uh, you and, and to be a witness for you in, in this world. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. How do you measure greatness? Now, if you ask that question in the world, you're going to get a whole variety of answers. Is true greatness seen in how much money a person has? Some would say, oh yeah, that makes a person great. Can it be determined by the car they drive? Well, that's, that's a good point, isn't it? I don't know about you, but I still see a car, I, I just admire it. Say, Boy, look at that thing, that's a beautiful car. But I, I'll be honest, I don't think that guy is a great 
guy because he drives that nice car. But some do. Uh, the size of the house they live in or the status they have achieved in life, the position they hold is true greatness recognizable by one's achievements in life. Well, for instance, if an actor wins an Oscar, has he achieved greatness? If an athlete breaks all the records, have they achieved greatness? If someone is able to do what no one else has ever done before, have they achieved true greatness? Some would obviously say, oh yes, that is great, that's greatness. But I have the sneaky suspicion that God would say no to these things. Uh, not that anything's wrong with some of those things I mentioned, maybe the actor, but no, but, uh, uh, but no there's, there, some of those things may not be wrong, but some would uh, say, say yes, but I don't believe God would. I think God would say true greatness is not measured about what you and I can achieve in life. True greatness is how you live your life. And God declared one man in the Bible great. Uh, he, he talked about his greatness, and that is Job. Remember that? When God was having a conversation with Satan, and he says there in Job 1.8, And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth? Wow, what a testimony. Again, this is not other men talking about Job. This is God. God knows his heart. And so he says, there's no one like him. A perfect and upright man. Uh, this, this man, Job, though he was not sinless, he was a, <clears throat> a man who walked in the ways of God, who strove to do the right thing. One that feareth God and escheweth evil, hates evil. Now, we can see the, this principle fleshed out here in the life of David. Um, in this passage here, David is just a young boy. Uh, he, he is, you know, just starting life, basically. But as a young man, teenager, he has just accomplished something here. He, he's off his, uh, uh, fresh from his first battle with, uh, with Goliath, the giant Philistine, and killed him. And uh, so he's already achieved what very few people in this world ever achieve. And that is, David has achieved, achieved great, or true greatness. David achieved true greatness. Now, I want to share with you tonight here a few observations in the, in 1 Samuel, and uh, I believe we can see that these things will reveal why David was able to achieve true greatness. Why this could be, uh, uh, David could be uh, in that category of great people. Well, number one, David had the right life. He had the right life. There, in, look at verse uh, 5 again with me. David went out whithersoever Saul sent him and behaved himself wisely. Look down at verse 14, and David behaved himself wisely. And then verse uh, 30, then the uh, princes, uh, well, let me just cut to the bottom part of that, that verse, that David behaved himself more wisely than all the servants of Saul so that his name was much set by. Three times in this chapter, we're told that David behaved himself wisely now this phrase and by the way he wasn't a, a, a you know a wise acre or a wise guy he, he behaved himself wisely and it speaks of someone who who's walking properly it refers to a person who knows how to carry themselves and it speaks of more than just manners by the way don't don't you think that we need to get back to teaching some 
even just some common etiquette in the world. Uh, but that's not just talking about that. It speaks of one who watches what they say. Boy, that's pretty powerful. Who, who watches what they do, who watches how they act. Why do they do that? Because they know I'm being watched. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk the straight and narrow because I know others have their eyes on me. It has the idea of walking accurately, walking carefully, as if um, one were navigating a minefield or if you were walking a tightrope. In fact, we are told to do that. You and I as Christians are called upon to have this kind of walk in our Christian life. Ephesians 5.15 says, See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. I mean, every step you take, you're watching where you walk. It's kind of like when I walk, I'm out uh, along some lake or some body of water. I'm always watching for water moccasins. I'm all, I almost stepped on one one time. And that I've, ever since then, I've always watched. If that stick begins to move, even if it doesn't move, I'm examining it to see if it's a snake. Snakes don't bother me that much. But water moccasins, I don't want to step on them. Uh, there could be some serious consequences as a result. But you're walking carefully. You're walking accurately. You're trying to, to make sure that you don't trip up or, in that case, step on a snake. But three areas where this accurate, careful walk of David's was on display, and I want to show them to you. Number one, in verse 5, when he was facing promotion, David went out whithersoever Saul sent him and behaved himself wisely, and Saul set him over the uh, men of war. And so he behaved himself. We were talking about Joseph being in that situation where he was promoted and how he handled it. Uh, and now here, uh, David also under the, you know, promotions, how we handle them in life says a lot about our true character. Uh, because sometimes a promotion can go to our head and then we begin to think we are really great. Uh, you'll see this about David. David was the last one to call himself great. But, um, but it, nonetheless, we're talking about promotions here. He behaved himself well in spite of the promotions that were passed on to him in life. Uh, after David defeated Goliath, he continued to prove himself by being a faithful and loyal subject day by day. He was there serving his king and his kingdom. David didn't allow his victory over Goliath to go to his head. David already knew that God had anointed him to be king. But David didn't allow even that, that uh, anointing by Saul or the victory over Goliath to go to his head thinking, you know, hey, I, I'm already a great guy. David knew he was climbing to the top, but he was willing to climb one step at a time and let it be God's timing, not his. There was always a danger of pride. Now, I, you know, we, we, we must be honest with ourselves because this thing of pride it, it is a problem for many of us that can, even when we're least expecting it, we have to be careful. Our old nature, the old flesh, is, uh, is, is definitely wicked, and it, will, it enjoys the uh, self-promotion. And the pride is one thing that just fans the flames of that, and we uh, get our eyes off God and on ourselves. But it's always a danger of pride when we see some measure of success, uh, even if it's in our walk with God. We're, we begin to think, you know, hey, I'm pretty good. I am, a, man, I am a great Christian. I, I don't think there's anybody as good as I am. Boy, that's dangerous. Dangerous. 
when God allows us to see a victory or two, we need to beware of the snare of pride. Because that's what the devil wants to do. He sees us uh, having victories, and he doesn't like that. But he, what he'll do is try to get us to think of ourselves that we are great. And so thank God for the victories he gives, but be careful that they don't go to your head. Listen to Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goeth before the destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 12. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. And then when facing promotions, we see uh, this was where he was walking accurately, carefully, circumspectly, as the New Testament put it. And then also when facing problems, look at verse 14. David behaved himself wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. He behaved himself well in spite of all the problems that came into his life. And we know David had some problems. But, and, and one of them was King Saul. King Saul was trying to kill him. I think any day that would be a problem in my book if somebody's out to kill me. Uh, David still, though, I, this is amazing. He, he carried himself the right way in spite of this. David could have become bitter and angry. He, he could have been overcome by a desire for revenge. Well, I'll show this old guy. I'll, I'll teach him something. Man, I, you know, God used me to kill Goliath, and Saul would be no problem at all. But that's not David. Instead, David continued to carry himself well. David continued to be a good example in the midst of this problem. So often it's the problems of life that throw us off course, isn't it? I mean, some unexpected calamity will blindside us and, and it will be, uh, you know, knock us for the down and out and, uh, before we know it. But a sign of true greatness is one uh, in one's faith is the ability to continue the, to walk right even in the midst of, uh, of those problems. Uh, to walk the, walk the right way and the right path even when things aren't going well in your life. Like the Apostle Paul. He's a, another great example. Uh, Philippians chapter 4. He says he's content whatever state he's in. I, I, Paul would be content in Illinois. But we're not talking about that kind of state, but uh, but you know that's it's true. We, uh, Paul is a great example. What, rich or poor, uh, he was he was content. How about Job? Man, uh, he didn't. He said, even if I die, I'm, I want to praise the Lord. And then, but we, uh, here also David not only facing problems and promotions, but when facing possibilities. Here he is walking very accurately, um, very carefully, uh, circumspectly. Verse thirty. Um, in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 18. Then the prince, princes of the Philistines went forth, and it came to pass after they went forth that David behaved himself more wisely than all the servants of Saul, so that his name was much set by. So he be behaved himself well in, the, uh, in spite of life's possibilities. David has... Uh, through the providence of God, became far more popular than the king, King Saul. And remember, David even married into royalty, married Saul's uh, daughter. And so things are going pretty good for David, it seemed like. David has been blessed, and he has prospered greatly in Israel. Um, and it could be said, and was thought by Saul, David is being set up to overthrow me. Why, David... I mean, that's what he's going to do. 
He's going to overthrow my kingdom. After all, he is, he has been uh, uh, set to be aside to be the next king. And instead of trying to uh, elevate himself, David is content to wait on the Lord. David continues to carry himself well in spite of the opportunity to promote himself. He could have done that. Uh, he didn't do it, though. And, and I think we need to be very careful when it seems that you're on the way up. When it seems like you're climbing the ladder, things are going well, and you're, you're succeeding, and, and uh, uh, we need to be careful. There's a tendency for us to begin to blow our own horn, right? And, but if, if we are wise, then if we're walking properly, carefully, circumspectly, we will leave the horn tooting to the Lord. Um, that's his place, not ours. And uh, so our duty is to live for him. Our duty is to live the kind of life that can present a, what a Christian ought to be in a, a lost world. And so it, and for the glory of God, not our glory. So David may have been a young man, but he set the kind of example that all of us need to follow. Not just young people, but every living Christian needs to follow this example. He lived a wise and balanced life for the glory of God. He lived a life that honored God and a life that God could honor. It wasn't fake. It was real. And we should be interested in living that kind of life also. So David lived the right life. That's, that's why he uh, had true greatness. He lived the right life. Number two, David had the right priorities. Verses, uh, let's see here. We did read verses 10 through 13, but at, um, where it came to pass on the morrow that the evil spirit came upon Saul. Verse 11, Saul cast the javelin, tried to kill David. Uh, verse 12, and Saul was afraid of David. And therefore, verse 13, Saul removed him uh, from him. So all this is happening here. But there, here's another example of David's greatness uh, in, in his young life. And that is his, his priorities that he had set in his life. He had his priorities right. Uh, these weren't easy days for David. You look at this, and it was they were difficult. He had been uprooted from his home. He had found instant fame from killing Goliath, and sometimes that alone is enough to ruin people, instant fame. He, um, and he has found a bitter enemy in the king, King Saul, a man who David would have died for, given his life for, was loyal to, dedicated to, but the king hated him nonetheless. Uh, there in verse 9 it says Saul uh, eyed David from that day and forward still David what did he do he knows all of this he knows Saul hates him he knows Saul wants to kill him but he remains faithful in his priorities he carried on with his assignments that Saul the king that wanted to kill him carried on with those assignments uh, in spite of all these difficulties that he faced, David demonstrated faithfulness to the priorities of his life. Uh, first of all, David was surrendered there, as we see in verse 10, and that came on the morrow that the evil spirit came upon Saul. David, what did he do? David played with his hand as at other times, and there was a javelin, a javelin in Saul's hand. But we find David, in spite of knowing all of this, still going in and playing the harp for King Saul. Um, and he knew the king was against him. He had a job to do, 
And David said, I'm going to do it faithfully in spite of what everybody else. Now, I get calls often uh, about people who, who are just venting about why they can't live the Christian life because of their spouse, because of their employer, because of somebody else. They don't look at themselves here. And David had every reason to say, you know what, I'm going to just get out of this place. Forget it. Go back to the, to the, the desert there with the sheep and, and get away from all of this. He didn't do that. He did. Uh, he faithfully did what he was called upon to do. And then David, so he was surrendered to uh, the will of God. He was surrendered. There, this, he had his priorities right. Are you surrendered to God to do his will above all else? And then secondly, David was steadfast. There in verse 11, Saul cast the javelin, for he said, I will smite David even to the wall uh, with it. And David avoided out of his presence twice. And I want you to notice that phrase. Uh, but here, Saul in his hatred tried to kill David. But that phrase, and David avoided out of his presence twice. David tried, or Saul tried to kill David. And David, he ran away. Now, I don't know about you, but I think right then, when that javelin barely missed me, that uh, would have probably been, been it for me. Said, okay, that's it. I'm, here's my resignation. I'm, in fact, I'm not even going to give you a resignation. I'll send it in the mail. I'm out of here. I'm gone. Uh, I, I, I would have you know, been over and done with it, but not David. David was steadfast. Uh, he knew God had put him where he was, and he was staying there until God moved him. And so even though Saul tried to kill him, David returned to his post after this and continued doing the job that he had been assigned to do. And then, then also, thirdly, David was submissive. So he was surrendered, he was steadfast, and then he was submissive. Verse 13, therefore Saul removed him from him and made him his captain over a thousand, and he went out and came in before the people. Even after Saul attempted to take his life, David kept on serving this evil king. And uh, David uh, took his new assignments. He carried it out to the best of his ability. And he didn't go and whine to uh, personnel, you know, about the situation here. Uh, he didn't go tell his daddy. He just went on and did what God wanted him to do, to the best of his ability. Um, in these three verses here, David sets a good example for all of us tonight. Often the difference between the average Christian and the great Christian comes down to the simple matter of priorities. Uh, we, we either have our priorities in the right place or we don't. And we'll never be great in the eyes of God if we, are not, if we don't have our priorities right. You see, we do the things that are important to us. Those things that you uh, attach value to determine the priorities in your life. That's not what David did. If David had done that, he probably would have gone back to the sheep. He loved it out there. He loved the solitary life and the, the being in, in nature and fighting lions and bears and that kind of thing. But, uh, but no, David was um, uh, submitted to doing what God wanted him to do. And so uh, at some point, David had determined to be faithful in spite of what happened, to be faithful in spite of injury, to be faithful in, in spite or regardless of what took place in his life. Uh, he, he was going to be surrendered. He was going to be steadfast. He was going to be submissive. 
And he'd made up his mind that that was the kind of man that he was going to be. You remember Daniel purposed in his heart? Here, da David, now, it's pretty much the same thing. He'd purposed in his heart that he was going to do right. He was going to live surrendered, steadfast, and submissive uh, to the Lord. And this is how uh, each one of us as Christians tonight, we should live. Um, in fact, this is how God wants us to live. I, you know, we look back there at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that I think it's the last verse, but you don't need to turn there, where it says be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of God. That's what God wants us to do tonight. But Lord, don't you understand what's going on in America today? I think God has a, a good idea of what's happening here. But we are still to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Uh, we haven't, I don't think any one of us have had somebody try to kill us because of really we're trying to do the right thing now. But Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be what? Transformed by the renewing of your mind. So that's what God wants of all of us. But aren't we guilty of allowing everything in the world to hinder our walk with God and our faithfulness to, uh, to the things of God? Um, I, I mean, just think about our priorities. What are our priorities when it comes to the things of God and versus other things that are going on around us? We need to make up our minds that he will be the first priority of our lives. Um, you know, just like we've illustrated before, if, uh, when, when I, uh, if I would go home and tell Mildred, you know, you're one of the, uh, my favorite women in my life. I, you know, you're, you're right up there at the top ten. Uh, boy, that wouldn't go over so good, and it shouldn't. But how, don't we do that to God? God, I love you, but I really don't have time to read my Bible. I mean, God, you know how it is. I'm busy. I'll pray. I'll pray at the meal, meal time. And we, we just uh, put him on the top list of things but he's not, he doesn't want to be on the list. He wants to be the top, number one priority in our life. So we need to make up our minds that he will be the first priority. And if he is, then we're not going to have any trouble serving God like we should be. And um, he deserves to be served in that way. So David had the right life. He had the right priorities. And uh, then number three, David had the right perception. In verses 17 through 23, David's greatness can also uh, be seen in how he was perceived by the people around him and also how he was perceived by himself. Well, first of all, a private perception of David's life by King Saul. Not very good. Verses 7 and 9 uh, through 9, verses 15, verse 29. We'll look at uh, some of those. But this is how, well, in fact, we didn't read. Look at verse 29. Uh, and Saul was yet the more afraid of David, and Saul became David's enemy continually. And, of course, we see there where he hated him, um, and especially when those women begin to sing songs about him. It sounded really great until he got to David's part. And, boy, it made he was better than Saul. And he really was. But uh, uh, Saul had an evil spirit come upon him there. He just he, he had forsaken the Lord. So this is how King Saul perceives David. Um, King Saul hated David. 
King Saul wanted David dead. And King Saul, he, he, uh, when he looked at David, he looked at him through jealous eyes. And he saw a young man who was everything that he was not. This, this young guy has everything, is doing everything right, and I am not. And uh, he saw a young man who walked with God. He even envied that. Could Saul have had that kind of walk? Yes. At one time, maybe he did, but he definitely was not there now. And he saw a young man who carried himself well in spite of what was thrown at him, even a javelin. David uh, kept himself well. He, was, he saw a young man who, who was ambitious, who was faithful. He was clean. He was pure before God. And Saul hated him because of that. Are any of those things wrong? Were any of those things offensive, really, to Saul? Not at all. In fact, it would have been a great, great asset for Saul to have this young man in his kingdom. But Saul hated David so much, tried to kill him with his own hand. And when that didn't work, he tried to, uh, through deceit, in verses 17 through 25, which we're not going to take time to read right now. But Saul hated David, but he hated him because God was with him. God was with David. And Saul hated that, hated him because of that. And, uh, and because not only was he with David, but God was not with Saul. And there, that uh, Saul just went nuts. He hated David because he walked with God. We cannot expect everybody to love us for doing the right thing, for walking with God. I, I mean, aren't you amazed at some of the, the boldness of these wicked people in our world today? Um, who are actually attacking Christians for doing what's right, who, who have twisted things so much to say why this extreme group of people think that abortion is wrong and we're for life. Wait a minute, what? You're for life but you're killing babies? I, it's, it's so beyond even common sense. Uh, but uh, that's maybe the evil spirit has come upon some of these leaders that um, I won't go there right now anyway. But uh, Saul, Saul uh, he, he hated David because he walked with God. Then the public, let's look at what the public perception was of David's life. This is how the people of Israel perceived David. How did they see him? Well, Saul's private perception of David was one thing, but what was the public uh, perception of David? And it was altogether different than what Saul had. Saul's servants, in verse 5, it's, it says, David went out uh, whithersoever. I'll uh, see here. And um, he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. And so there we see that Saul's servants, the people in the, the palace, the king's palace, uh, saw how David carried himself, and the people were impressed with this young man. Now, so there's a sharp young man. There is a young man that's going places. There is a young man that I want my children to be like. Boy, he's doing right. He's living right. He's, he is a success in more ways than one. And so Saul's servant's perception. Then Saul's subjects, also there we already read part of that verse 5. talks about his subjects. Verse 16, um, where it says all of Israel and Judah love David. And verse 30, uh, that how uh, David behaved himself more wisely with all the servants of Saul so that his name was much set by. And, and so here we find all the people saw God's hand upon David's life. 
And they knew that uh, David was a special young man. They were impressed with him. And then how about Saul's other, other family members, his own son, his daughter? Uh, verses, uh, well, verse 1, it came to pass when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David. And uh, so uh, I, I, there's so much more we could read there about the daughter as well. But even Saul's own children, uh, Jonathan and, and Michael, they loved David, loved him. They were willing to lay their life down. Jonathan could have been the one that was jealous and angry because, speaking humanly, he should be the next king. And he knew David was going to be in his spot, but that didn't bother him. He was ready to serve David. Loved him that much. He had a love for God and a love for David. There's something about his life that touches even Saul's family. And then the personal perception of David. This is how David perceived himself. The only person in Israel who seems to be unaware of David's greatness is David himself. Um, see, when, it, when it's mentioned that he uh, might become the king's son-in-law, how did David respond to that? Well, back in verses 17 through 23, we see that David, he said, I'm not worthy of this. He saw himself, he saw his own unworthiness. David isn't, isn't nearly as impressed with David as the other people in the kingdom were. Uh, here, here is one of the most powerful, I think, most powerful secrets in obtaining greatness. The person who possesses true greatness will be the last one to know it. They're around there tooting their own horn, bragging about themselves. That's not greatness. They'll, they'll be the last person to know it, as was David. So all around us, uh, don't we run into those people? Well, I do this. I've run into them in the years of my life where people are boy, more than eager to tell you all their achievements and how great they are or they think they are. And they're always talking about their self, talking about their achievements, and constantly elevating themselves. But the truly great person will never be in the business of lifting up self and uh, lifting up their own name, promoting their own fame. That's not a great person. Uh, in fact, he will be amazed when others start doing this, lift his name up. Uh, this will almost be a shock to him because he does not perceive himself as great. The, old, the, the truly great person uh, will not behave in such a way as promoting self. Um, this was the kind of spirit that David possessed. Uh, you know, David, he had, and, and it's the same spirit that you and I as Christians tonight should strive to have as well. Uh, that this was the spirit that dwelt in the heart of the Apostle Paul. Remember, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, 11, I am become a fool in glory. Ye have compelled me, for I ought to have been commanded of you, or commended of you, excuse me, for in nothing am I behind the very chiefest apostles, though I be nothing. That's Paul talking about himself. Now, I don't, again, I would classify Paul as a great man. Paul did not. He called himself the chiefest of sinners. He called himself here, I'm nothing. And that's how he saw himself. And David was very similar here. The Bible has something to say about that, that matter of self-promotion in Proverbs 27, 2. Let another man praise thee, and not thine own mouth, a stranger, and not thine own lips. So don't brag on yourself. If, they're, you know, if that is done, let it be others that do that. 
and uh, Proverbs 26, 12, seest thou a man wise in his own conceit? There was more hope of a fool than of him. And then 2 Corinthians 10, 12, for we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. So the person who must toot their own horn is, is to get their attention and or the recognition that they think they deserve, well, they're not a wise person according to the Bible. And uh, I think it's very clear. It's far better to let God exalt us than we try to exalt ourselves. So and let him do it in his time. And it is for us to be in the business of exalting others, not ourselves, exalting the Lord. And so, in fact, it's unwise to listen too closely to those who uh, are praising us, to those uh, others who are, are what they say about us. In fact, I'd say it's wise not to listen too closely, whether it be good or bad. Because, you know, if we listen to all the critics, man, we'll be discouraged and depressed all the time. If we listen to all the praise and begin to think, you know what, you're right. I am all that and more. Uh, that you see there that pride kicks in. And folks will love you today, and they'll tell you how great you are, but let something happen. Just cross them up, and they'll turn on you like a rabid dog. And, uh, and this happened even in David's life. But live for God. Let God do the exalting, not yourself. Beware of thoughts of personal greatness, and don't believe all the good things others say about you. Then last, last point here, I'll throw this out here, the power of David's life. The power of David's life. Look at verse 12. Saul was afraid of David. Why? Because the Lord was with him and was departed from Saul. Look at verse 14. And David behaved himself wisely in all his ways. And it says again, the Lord was with him. Um, David had the right life. David had the right priorities. David had the right perception from those around him of his own life because of, and in fact, he even viewed himself as nothing. And so he had the right perception of himself. And, uh, and all of these other things were possible in David's life. He became a great man because of his relationship with God. And that was it. Um, it, it was his relationship was at this time what it ought to have been. That's why he obtained greatness. And so when, when you get right down to it, a right relationship with the Lord is the first and essential step in the pathway to, the, to greatness in life. David's relationship with God, he was in faith, a faith relationship. Uh, Psalms 23.1, you remember that. David writes there, and he says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. David knew God personally. In a personal way, that's how he was able to obtain greatness. His was not a faith based on what his parents knew. Um, And he did not worship God uh, vicariously through the prophet Samuel. And uh, no, David knew God on a personal level. That, folks, is what made all the difference in his life. That's what will make all the difference in our lives as well. And then David's resources in the Lord. It is said that God was with him. We just read those couple verses there. That's, that's the power that was in David's life. God was with him. 
David was able to do all that he did because God was with him. Is God with us as a Christian? The Bible says he'll never leave us, never forsake us. We have the same ability that David had. We can see the same victories. Uh, he had favor with man. Why? Because God was with him. Uh, he had humility and grace in his life. Why? Because God was with him. If you would be great in this life, the first step is going to be found in your relationship with God. Salvation is the key ingredient to achieving greatness in life. You see, you might amass fortunes, and you might achieve fame and status among men. Your name might be, become a household word. But if, you're, if you are not saved by the grace of God, that's right, you're nothing, nothing, and you have nothing. And when this life ends, and it will end, uh, what will you have to show for your life? And again, it's nothing but an eternity in hell. True greatness is found in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You're not famous tonight. You, say, you, know, you may not be famous. You may never become famous, and, uh, but you can leave a legacy that is of great value. Why? Because you know the Lord. You know God. And, and through his work in and through you, he is doing great things. And so don't, don't think like the world, that greatness can only be obtained by wealth, materials, position in life. Not at all. Because those people have nothing if they don't have the Lord. And others have, have passed this way who are not great in the eyes of men. Um, I, I think about folks in our church and some that I didn't know but I've heard all about since I've been here. And maybe they weren't known by anyone out of the immediate area. They were never famous. Maybe they didn't have a lot of money. But they left a legacy of faithfulness. They made an impact for God on the lives of people in this church. I, and I think of some that have now gone on to the Lord since I've been here. Several have passed on to, to eternity. And even the impact they had on my life, seeing their faithfulness and their dedication to God, their passion for the things of God, their priorities. They lived the right life. They had the right priorities. These people, I, in my book, were great. Not because they were famous or had money or fame but because they lived for God. They knew the Lord, and he used them to do great things. So don't worry about trying to get your name in, in the lights or uh, on the, grabbing the headlines of the newspaper. In fact, you don't want that for sure. Sometimes that could be a very bad thing. And, and don't worry about uh, being known by the men or by men of this world. The best thing in life is living for Jesus Christ and allowing him to live through you and allowing you to make an impact on this world for righteousness. True greatness is knowing Jesus Christ as your Savior and living your life for him. David's life was truly great, great, not because of what he did, but because of who he was. Um, and, and the same thing is true of your life and mine tonight. True greatness is not in the things we do. It's in whose we are and in who we know. So, I think we all, in some degree, we want to live a great life. We, we want to live a life that's going to make a difference. You, you know, we, we want to uh, 
make a life that's, uh, live a life that's going to make an impact upon the world. And, um, but really, the only way we can do that is by submitting to God and uh, knowing him as our Savior, walking in his ways, uh, being, behaving ourselves well, as did David in the face of everything that he'd come across, having the right priorities, uh, presenting our life as the right kind of life that a Christian is supposed to live. And when life is lived within that framework, true greatness has been obtained. You may not, and the world may not call you great, you may not think you're great, but God will. And he says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Let's pray together.